Hey guys, Henning and Morten here from Flip Normals. And in today's video, we are going to talk about VFX modeling, specifically sort of like the life of a modeler within VFX. Yeah, it's it's very much from our point of view, you know, the experiences that, that we have, it's not going to apply to gaming. It, no. could, it could apply to commercials as well. I used to work in commercials, so some of these do yeah. apply, but this is mostly focused around VFX. Yeah. So both of us, we work and have been working for the last four years now in, in high-end VFX in London. So I, we work in a couple of the major studios here and we currently are, we're still doing that. And uh, so Morton is full-time modeling. Uh, I'm doing modeling and texturing as well. So uh, that's essentially our perspective on this. Mm. So come into the video with that in mind. This is not too, this is not a gaming video. <laughs> no. So just some of the different topics we're going to go through. We, uh, we're going to talk about the different kinds of modelers that exist within VFX. Mm -hmm. The tools that we generally use, the sort of progress that you go through in terms of getting your model and you know the whole hierarchy. We're talking about outsourcing, mm -hmm. different topics there. And we're also going to talk about how do we review, how we review work yeah. at work. And what steps are there as well? Like what is what are, what are you given as a modeler? Who mm -hmm. do you pass your model onto? So with that said, let's uh, let's get into it. So the first thing is a quick disclaimer. We just want to get that out there. Uh, not everything is about sculpting monsters. <laughs> I very specifically wrote that as notes. Yes. So I think I think a lot of people who get into modeling get into modeling because they want to do characters. Yeah. I I see that a lot. There's definitely also hard surface, but. I would say that the majority wants to get into characters or creatures. And specifically here, seabrush sculpting, yeah, like yeah, yeah. concept sculpting monsters. They don't necessarily want to do the whole production side of, yeah. the, of modeling. They just want to do sculpting. And um, that's, that's going to be very hard for you. Yeah. So first off, let's talk about different kind of modelers. So the first one we have here is environment modeling. Mm. Environment modeling is interesting because... I feel like the tools that they use for environment modeling can vary. You know, mm. sometimes we have Maya, sometimes maybe someone will generate something in, in Houdini. Even. Speed tree? Speed tree, yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of different softwares being used. So I feel like an environment modeler is a very distinct branch of modeling. Mm. It's not, I mean, they're still doing modeling, but it's just, it's a different profession within modeling itself, I think. The cool thing about, about, about doing environments is that your work is on screen like lot. Yeah. This is something I've been talking to people like they want to do, they want to only do characters, but uh, I'm just trying to open them up to the possibility of doing environments because environments are just as cool. They cover the majority of <laughs> the screen. Like if you're doing if you're watching a movie, a lot of the characters are tiny. Like they mm. might be a little like cute little fluffy creature here while the environment is, is everything. Yeah, the environment covers everything. If you see like breakdowns from big studios sometimes you'll you'll see that i mean most of the time it's they're just on some set and yeah. environment modeling is most of what you see yeah. look at jungle book <laughs> i mean that's all cg it's not a live action movie or it's, you know uh, one of the classics that i worked on gods of egypt gods of egypt is, uh, is indeed a classic <laughs> where uh, i was uh, an environment modeler well it's more like a generalist modeler yeah. but i mostly did uh, rocks did very nice rocks i did rocks for 6 months so you you i mean and for that so that let's take that as an example that was all it was all Maya, all ZBrush, mm. just populated around. The sort of the the main thing there was used a lot of alphas. We generated our own sort of 3D alphas, mm. you know, based on some C depth passes and stuff like that. So it's it's very much how can we hack this all together? I've actually seen um, a lot of cool stuff come out of Substance as well for that. Mm, you know, absolutely. where you can generate some procedural noises to give things detail. Use that as an alpha or yeah. something like that. But I, I, it's still, I mean, it's not like a lesser modeler profession by any means. Like any says, cool. it's on screen all the time. <laughs> yeah. So then we move on to characters and creatures. So this is, I guess, the sexy one. Most people. Yeah. This want is this is what this is what we do. This is this is what we spend all our time doing. So I guess our official title is just like character modelers, character yeah, artists, something like that. Yeah. And it's it's a it's an interesting one because there are a lot of different smaller branches within creatures and characters mm. you know uh, we have digi doubles for example which is something i think a lot of people maybe they don't talk about as much when they talk about oh yeah i want to do characters and creatures they don't realize that the majority of what you see on screen for characters and creatures are just 
replicants of the actors that were there. Yeah, exactly. So, like just just to specify what a digidouble is, is like if you if you have Tom Cruise in a movie, you turns out you can't really blow him up. Uh, so what they do then? They put a stunt double in. But turns out you also can't blow up a stunt double, <laughs> and we need to blow him up. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, Tom Cruise he does a lot of his own stunts, but there are just some things but he can't do. All his own stunts, <laughs> no. right? So so we just we get him in for a scan and. Um, they they pose up for us. We scan them using something like photogrammetry, like Photoscan or mm. LiDAR, and then we just replicate them in 3D. Yeah, and that is a very different role from or very different different task from doing something like a creature because this one isn't. This is not in any way creative per se. Because in this one, you're replicating reality. You can't just be let's make his nose a bit bigger. No, <laughs> no. Look, Tom Cruise <laughs> need to look like Tom Cruise here. <laughs> Uh, so there is no free, there is no artistic freedom here whatsoever. But no. that's not a bad thing. That just means that you have the whole making matching reality, making that as close to possible as you possibly can versus creative freedom. In this one, this is where you're really pushing the effects. You're pushing yeah. the effects as hard as you can in terms of fooling your eyes that what you're seeing is is real. And when it comes to digital doubles. You know, everyone knows if there is something wrong with a human. <laughs> like we see them all the time. So digit doubles have to be as tight as they possibly can be. So this is what a lot of people like to do. They just really like to push the boundaries yeah. of VFX. One of the issues with with digit doubles is sometimes you it, there can be some creative elements in it. I think where sometimes you get a bad scan. Oh some, yes. Sometimes maybe they didn't do a photo session, right? Maybe yeah. they did, they did like a laser scan. <laughs> I worked in a film like that, and the faces were kind of obscured, so mm. we had to, from reference, sort of figure yeah. things out. So when you get into that, that gets a little more tricky. Yeah, you have it's, to interpret a lot of things. You have yeah. to find images on the internet. <laughs> uh, oh, God, yeah, that's that's not a lot of fun. But no. then, but then you have something like creatures, where oftentimes you're either handed a concept or you're refining a concept that someone else in another specific concept studio made, perhaps. Yeah where then it's now up to you to interpret what they did and what the director wants. You'll probably be a lot more involved in some dailies and some sessions with maybe art directors or yeah. VFX supervisors just to get their idea across. And at that point, you might be given, like, a, to talk how rough these uh, these models are, they, <laughs> like, it, it might be a concept artist who's had to task to, like, a concept sculptor who's had to churn out, like, 30 of these in a day. It, it's, you know, something he spent an hour on on each thing. It's a million polys, and yeah. you have to have a close-up shot of his toe. Like, there is a lot of interpretation here. So it's not that you're just interpreting some lines here and there. You're essentially doing redoing the concept. You're looking at every single element of it, and you are refining and defining what everything is going to look like. I think it's interesting with something that you get from concept things. Like so, so if you look at a concept model that you're, you've been handed from someone else, you look at that and think... Oh boy! Oh god! Why do they have a job? <laughs> but it's actually really hard. Like Kenny says, yeah. if you have to turn out thirty a day or yeah. twenty, whatever, how many is you just have to turn stuff out that has general shape, general yeah. form. Yeah. It's not going to look pretty. No, there's just going to be some terrible alphas tiled across yeah. somewhere just to get the feeling across. Yeah, and then maybe it's up to you as the creature modeler there to refine it further. Yeah. This is a really fun fun thing to do as well, though. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll do your own concepts. That's what that's what I've been doing a fair bit as well. You're starting yeah. with like maybe there's a pencil drawing, <laughs> and that is that is a crazy hard task to do because now you have to interpret everything. Yeah. And as a creature modeler, you're not just talking about does this look cool. You're also thinking about is this functional. If you just make some cool some cool shapes or something, your rigger will hate you. Like you, you to the point that you know you can't move the shoulders up, you can't move the head, all these kind of things. So that's that's one of the major things we we have to do as well. We have to work with rigging, yeah. Particularly when you're doing creative characters. If you're doing a digit double, that's less important because you most likely know that Tom Cruise can indeed move his head. <laughs> but if you're doing some kind of crazy creature with massive spikes or something, like he might get skewed by his own spikes. By his own spikes. So maybe he has six arms, and you have to figure out. Like it, it I I like the function aspects of doing yes. concept modeling because there's a lot more. There's a lot of thinking involved, like mm. just, you know, figuring out how do we make up this kind of anatomy to actually yeah. make it fit, which is, I think, is very a very interesting. interesting part of it. It's a really fun job. And sort of like as a, as a subset to the character modeling thing, eh, we have face shape modelers. Yeah. So uh, face shape modelers are usually their own thing. Um, on the last film I worked on, I had the opportunity to do face shapes, mm. and this was the first time I ever did face shapes, so that was very interesting. 
uh, not for me, mm. but uh, you know, I've tried it. <laughs> yeah, and you don't enjoy that a lot, don't no, you? No, not not really. But it's very. I, I would definitely say that's also a very creative task. Yeah. It's a different kind of creativity because you are, again, you are replicating something one-to-one, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily you're replicating what the actor did. It's like you replicate... If it's like maybe it's a, a creature, right? Yeah. Then you have to replicate how the face would move, but on something that doesn't have uh, human or even general animal anatomy. Yeah. It can differ a lot. But then you also have... The other side of that where you have an actor who comes in for something called a fact session mm. where every single record, like every single expression is recorded and stored. And scanned. And scanned. So you have, then you just have 120 scans, which yeah. is like 120 ex- different expressions. And these all have to be translated back into your model. Yeah. So it's very it's very different whether you're doing face shapes for creatures or humans like if it's an actor if you have yeah. to match a very specific actor they come in sometimes you don't have that session though yeah. and then you have to figure all that out then you get creative so just to talk a bit though about taking a step back for face shapes what what is it why do we care what is why is that a specific job it's like you can see this a lot in games like you know when people open their mouth it's just an open mouth like there is no there is no definition whatsoever if they if they close their eyes it's just the eyelids are now closed <laughs> but that's not at all how this works like if you if you if you were to film yourself doing some facial expression like you, if you if you were to do a sneer you know you can see your your you're sure your mouth might move but your nose and eyes mm-hmm. everything is connected here so this is just how to get some really good performance into our rigs i mean that's what it all relies on there's so many micro expressions that if you were to just do it by hand you probably wouldn't think about unless you're specialized in in face shape modeling it's a very it's a hard field it's a very high level position to have and it's adopt some people who only do that i mean if you're if you're good if you're a good face shape modeler then you're probably guaranteed a job. Yeah, I mean, it's and it's one of the one of the reason we're talking about it is because nobody knows about this. Yeah, they know that maybe you do, maybe you've been in school and you do like some face shapes once in a while, but this is an actual job. Yeah, very, very interesting and a very hard thing to do. I think yeah, much respect. Yeah, mad props to those people who can do that. Speaking of props, now we have props. <laughs> oh, that was smooth. As hell. <laughs> <laughs> so prop modeling is another facet of modeling, right? So this is probably the thing that. I would say before most people started out with, there are, you know, some props do get outsourced nowadays. Yeah. We'll get to that later. But it's it's a very, I would say it's a very beginning thing, beginner thing to do because it's like you get, maybe most of the time you get a scan yeah. and you go like, here and match the scan. Yeah. It's a t- telescope, yeah. you know, and uh, <laughs> um, you just have to match it. The prop, prop modeling itself is usually... I would say easier. I yeah. mean, sometimes you get some crazy props you have to make. Yeah, super you get complex. some insane hard surface things here. Yeah, sure. yeah. But in general, like like if we're looking at our table right now, like there's a pen. It's like a bunch of cylinders. <laughs> you know, like there there's there are a pair of binoculars. You know, like it's not super hard. It's a bunch of cylinders, bunch of basic shapes. But then you get something like in, in this one, I guess something like a car would also fit in as well, and mm-hmm. like like all these kind of things here, like hard surface general hard surface so th- there is definitely a range here like yeah, yeah if you're looking sure. at if you're looking at most most things in real world are fairly simple to model because they are just a combination of of basic shapes yeah but then you definitely get some super high level things here as well but like for props here we, we, we are generally talking about about simpler things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like in this one we're not talking about we're not saying that if you design spaceship for star wars that that's a simple one no that's like that's a whole separate thing. Like mad, mad props on that because I, I, for hard surface, advanced hard surface, yeah. let's say robots, spaceships, you know, transformers, that kind yeah. of stuff. I, I'm terrible. Yeah. Like I can, I can do it. You know, if I, if I get a task, if I get a concept here, model this up, I could definitely do it. Yeah. But it's not something that I'm specialized in. No. I don't have all the right tools, so it would just take me a lot longer. Yeah. So the people that do some hardcore hard surface. They are some crazy people too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's very impressive. I think. With props, though, what we specifically mean is, yeah, it's like model an apple, and and yeah. this is often a very entry level thing. And the reason it's good to do that is because you know it's not a terribly hard thing to do, but it's hard in a production because like when you get started. I remember when I started, um, I started Frame Store uh, a couple of years ago now, four, five years ago, four years ago, mm-hmm. and um, we just did a lot of props for Paddington. And it's like each prop was not hard to do, but what's hard is I never used Linux before because you know yeah. it's all studios use use Linux. Uh, as far as I know, no exceptions to that. So that's a whole new operating system to learn. It's a whole new pipeline to learn. It's 
just how do you submit your work to to a review you know who's who's reviewing it you have to know get to know a bunch of new people so yeah, yeah. the prop itself is necessarily hard to do in the beginning but it's it's getting used to an overall vfx pipeline like it's all the work around it yeah exactly so uh, a, a lot of people start off with doing props and that's also one of the reasons when i'm recommend recommending people to build a portfolio is don't just necessarily have simple props like if you only have a pair of binoculars in your in your reel you know that's not super useful but but show that you can do hard service even if you're a character artist because you do that that's a very common way to get into the field. You become a lot more hireable. Yeah, you do. Like if you, I mean, there are there are of course things to be said for your super hotshot organic modeler who yeah. can sculpt, replicate, whatever. Then you know there's definitely a market for that. But having a more most people aren't like that, especially no. not straight out of school. So having a more general portfolio where you do display a bunch of different skills yeah. that let's say you can match a scan. Uh, a scan to a face, a scan of a of a prop. Yeah, you can do some environments, like yeah. mix it up a little bit. That's definitely very desirable. That's you- what I had in in my reel when I got started. I had I had photogrammetry. We matched a real world set, like a miniature. Then I had a hard surface, a model like a 1930s Rolls Royce, because that was a weird and hard shape to do. <laughs> and then I have some original characters as well. Just I was definitely more specialized into creatures, and that was what I wanted to do. But when when you want to get your first job. Who cares what yeah, you want to do? Yeah, that's the thing. Even so, right? Still didn't start off doing no, characters. No, I didn't. I started off for the first two... I started off with characters very early on compared mm. to a lot of people. I did it after two months. But um, the first two months was pure props. Yeah. Like nothing else. That, that really like shaped me up for <laughs> for the rest of it. And when it comes to... When it comes to like being specialized or not, one thing we have to talk about here is I feel there is like a, a range here from like super hardcore seabrush cowboy. You can you can do organic stuff really really well. Yeah. Uh, and then there is the other side which you can do you can do hard surface really really well. And I'm not just talking about topology here. I'm talking about you can design your own thing and you can take this through from start to finish. Mm. You can be given a spaceship and you can you can concept it, model it up, UV map it, uh, bash it up with seabrush afterwards, and all that. You can deliver that. On the other side, it's the whole, you can concept something up when it comes to a creature. You can make sure, you know, it can move. It's not going to get stabbed by its own spike. You can do topology, UVs, and you can pass this on to a texture artist. Yeah. This is on either end of this. If you if you get too specialized into this, that can also get very hard to get a job. You want to make sure that, at least in the beginning, that you don't specialize too hard on either side here. I would definitely recommend being more general, that you can do a bit of everything. If you want to be only hard surface guy, totally fine. But I would recommend that you have a basic understanding of of uh, of ZBrush. Mm-hmm. You know, you can do some more things here. Yeah, because I mean, there there are definitely also spots in the pipeline for just generalists, yes. like generalist modelers Absolutely. who who cover the entire range. I mean, oftentimes they're probably not as strong in the organic or the hard surface yeah. as someone who's specialized. But most of the time, that's not what you need. You no. you you only have a handful of hero things for yeah. a film, right? You only have a handful of hero characters or a handful of hero like spaceships or whatever. Yeah. Um, most of the stuff is the in between stuff, yeah. which makes you, I would I would say, more hireable. Yeah, I would say so for sure. It's like if you were to model a couch, and which is generally maybe a hard surface thing, but it, but has some pillows on it. Yeah. You know, then you have to be able to sculpt some pillows. You yeah. have to be able to do that. If you're doing a spaceship and it has soft seats, and you're like, oh, sorry, we need. Seabrush guy to sculpt the seats. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would definitely say, regardless of which end you're at, like Morton and I, we're way more towards the character side of it. But we can do hard surface. We just don't enjoy it as much. No. But it's definitely a foundation we have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did a did like a helmet thing for one of the tutorials yeah. we did once. I mean, it, the the thing wasn't about the helmet. Uh, people have been asking about that. You want to spend a month doing that? Yeah. You see, that's the thing. I spent such a long time <laughs> doing a, just a silly helmet, right? Just because I don't, I'm not specialized in yeah. that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm less hireable for that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and, and one of the last things I want to talk about is uh, shot sculpting. Yeah. Now, shot sculpting is an interesting thing. Yeah. Some studios use modelers for it. Some studios just use people as cannon fodder. They just throw <laughs> people at shot sculpting. Yeah. And there's definitely a place for shot sculpting. I, I don't know if you could be a, like a dedicated shot sculptor. Yeah, because you would have it at, you know, you have the, at the end of the pipeline and stuff. But let's just talk about what shot sculpting is for now. Mm. So shot sculpting on its own is you have something that's already in shot. It's already been rigged. It's... Um, 
pretty good for almost delivery, but maybe you have yeah. to do some tweaks. Maybe the way the muscle sim is, is working in this shot is weird. It's mm. all over the place. So you would sort of sculpt that back into place. Yeah. So you sculpt sort of frame by frame. Yeah. You could do uh, from frame 10 to 20, you could you could say, okay, in these frames, the, the muscle is here, and in the next frames, it's here. Mm. So... It's it's very much a fixing position. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was I was locked into that for two months just because yeah. that was what was left on the show. So. And some of the stuff is is fairly easy to do. Like you could just be like the deformation is broken, just mm. fix it. Like it's actually just the shoulder has just gone crazy, or like something <laughs> is just is actually broken. But then you also have some stuff that you, you need high level anatomy knowledge yeah. for it. Like you you did shot sculpting for a face for that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I actually did. Uh, I actually did facial performance. With shot sculpting, yeah, which is terrible. Yeah, don't do that. I mean, it's it's you ideally you never want to do that uh, <laughs> because y- your face shape should really be up to up to snuff. Yeah. But on this particular show, there wasn't a lot of time, yeah. so ended up doing shot sculpting on a face. It's like the last line of defense. Yeah. Like it, because oftentimes, well, it, well, oftentimes it's not just that or oh, something broke here. It's also like pure economics. Let's say a character is in shots for he's in twenty shots, and. Um, you can let's say you just do a, a quick rig for him and then you fix it in shots that could actually be cheaper than doing a crazy good rig which can do everything i mean yeah. as crazy that sounds if something is only in a select few shots i mean you know the maximum amount of shots is going to be in it this is not we're not talking games here where he's in 60 fps 360 <laughs> for like 24 hours you're no. talking that maybe he has 30 seconds of screen time and then just scope those 30 seconds. Yeah, or maybe only 10. Yeah. You know, it's 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 definitely worth considering. Also yeah. from a production point of view, like what's the most cost-effective way to get this out? Yeah. And sometimes shot sculpt is just the way. It's not an elegant solution, but it works. Yeah, for And sure. then for this though, we we often have proprietary shot sculpting mm. software out there. There is, there is one tool um, made by a guy called Brave Rabbit, I believe it's called, called... Um, Shapes. I believe it just released Shapes 5, which oh, is a Maya yeah, plugin yeah. now, which I, I used for a project at home recently. Um, so that's similar. So you can use something like that. if you, Let's say you're doing a short movie or something, then Shapes is a fantastic tool just for that. But we, we all have proprietary tools for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of the tools... Man, we are smooth today. Yeah, it's going pretty good. <laughs> um, we, we just want to emphasize NVFX... Mm, I'm not going to say commercials because some commercial studios use different things but most of the VFX houses bigger VFX houses use Maya yeah that's, that's just a fact yeah. um, for modeling from, for, mod- for modeling yes yeah. there is definitely other software involved as well but Maya is the big cheese yeah. in this equation here so uh, you know if you want to be a modeler uh, in VFX learn Maya yeah, we had a, we had some comments on the video called like "What's the best 3D software?" Where we were talking about like it doesn't really matter what software you use because all big studios use their own proprietary software. That is, that is just flat out a lie. Like that is that is untrue. <laughs> like it's most studios do not use proprietary software for it. So just for modeling, most people use Maya for that. Uh, same for rigging and animation as well. And then yeah. for lighting, they would use something like. Um, uh, katana and then for effects it's Houdini yeah. sure we use our own flavor of it it's mm-hmm. been customized but I mean even the way we've been customizing it is not it's not that crazy like if you if you know how to use Maya you can jump into pretty much any one of the major studios and start working day one there yeah, are I some mean, pipeline the, things but exactly. but it's all very vanilla Maya I mean you'd be surprised by how vanilla Maya <laughs> actually is for that oftentimes especially as a modeler all you have access to is maybe just proprietary tools yeah maybe to make your life as a modeler easier mm. you can flip over some uvs yeah. you have uv scaling ratios that kind of stuff we have some cool scripts for sure yeah. which, which helps us in, but i mean most of the tools we have available and most of the swiss army knife i'm using as a modeler is all available commercially online yeah with sure we have some stuff which speeds up the work but you can do the exact i, I could do the exact same job at home which i can at, at the studio yeah so like we said maya is is the is the main software here that's mm-hmm. all modeling is done in maya uh, most i would say all modeling all sculpting is done in zbrush mudbox really isn't being used today it's like it's it's so for what i've used mudbox for whenever i've been sculpted i primarily use zbrush i only use zbrush yeah. pretty much uh, mudbox, hate mudbox. <laughs> I, I hate mudbox it's like it's just the f- feeling of yeah. mudbox it's yeah. like you're you feel like 50 percent more terrible yeah. 
when you try to sculpt in Mudbox. Yeah. At least that's my experience. I just yeah. the feeling of it just bothers me. So Mudbox is not being used. <laughs> but I will say though, in Mudbox's defense, you can import cameras mm. for lineups. Yes. For you when you're doing matching a face or whatever. Uh, I did that actually a couple years ago. I was doing a um, sculpture of my grandfather. I took mm. some reference pictures. I lined up the model roughly to some reference pictures that I took so I could sort of figure out in 3D where it was and tweak it. Mm. Uh, Maya does have some sculpting yeah. tools as well now. But again, I mean, they're from Mudbox. Yeah. So you could probably do that there. Yeah. So maybe Mudbox is even more obsolete now. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. It's ZBrush. ZBrush. <laughs> ZBrush most of the way. Yeah. So for, for UVs as well, some people have used different software like UV Layout, which is the craziest software <laughs> in the world. It's like UV Layout is like the most brilliant software in the world when it comes to UVs, but it's designed by a person who has literally no knowledge of UI and UX design at all. It's purely hotkey based. Pretty crazy. If you don't use it for like a week, you've forgotten everything about it, but you can also do crazy stuff. But th this is from an era where Maya didn't really have UV tools. I mean, mm. Maya has essentially only had good UV tools for a couple like, what, years? like three years now or so. Yeah. Before that, I used I used ZBrush for my use. I, un yeah. I unfolded everything in ZBrush. But now, since uh, Maya has acquired Unfold 3D, <laughs> you can now unfold your UVs. Yeah, finally. So Maya is, is actually good for that. Yeah, and they've, they've gotten some good symmetry tools. They've got some good cutting tools, yeah. uh, the layout tools for, you know, you're working it's with UDIMs. It's actually good. Yeah, I mean... We use Maya. Yeah, I, I use yeah I use Maya for for most of my use. I used to use Modo as well before, but I mean, why not just stick to one software? Mm. And another more specialized software that we use. So this is this is mostly for digi doubles. Yeah, it's a software called Rap Three or Rap X, depending on which one you use. But let's stick with Rap Three for now. Um, it it's oh man, it's an ingenious. I believe it's like made by a Russian guy. Probably crazy Russians, you know, they just make awesome software. Absolutely fantastic software. Yeah, it's um, you just, I mean, you have a scan, you have a predefined model that has all the topology. Mm -hmm. This could be your generic model that you have yeah. your, you know, in house. You just define points. So let's say you click a point on the nose, you click a point on the mouth, the corners of the eyes. You click the same points on the other other model, and it just sort of, well, wraps it to it. Yeah. And then now you don't have to tweak your topology. Absolutely fantastic tool. This is, we we get to this a bit later as well. This is one of these scary tools because mm. this is this kills jobs. But more on that later. I mean, there's also so just to differentiate as well with Rap Three and Rap X. So they're both Rap. Mm. They do they both Rap. But with Rap X, you have the freedom to do Python scripting, yeah. so you can automate things. Yeah. Um, I've been in a studio before where we used it to do all the facial expressions. Like we mentioned before, the facts session mm. for uh, actors that come in and do all the facial expressions. We just had a script where we aligned the points on the model. Mm -hmm. It based it, I think, on the textures on the model. So it knew the, yeah, you can do all that. the lighting information. So we would only click the points once and it went through, you know, a hundred different facial expressions, export them out. Sure, there's some tweaking you have to do, but you just save like 20 days. That's insane. It's super crazy. Yeah. So a very powerful software. Very scary for the future. Yeah, and uh, so uh, if you're if you're a student or something, I wouldn't necessarily look into Rapex. No. Like that's a production tool. You need a scan for that to work. Most likely, you're not going to have a crazy good scan available. But and it's super easy to learn. Yeah, it like, takes five minutes. Yeah, it takes five minutes. Uh, people also use Marvelous Designer a lot. Mm. Uh, this is also like if you're doing clothing, we're not going to sculpt the clothing. I mean, no. like that there is just there is just no reason you should sculpt clothing at. I like, think maybe you know maybe like. Three or four years ago, Marvelous wasn't that used in, in, in effects. Yeah. Effects, it was mostly games. Yeah. But in the last couple of years, it's really seen a, a big rise. Like Most of the studios I know, yeah. they use they use Marvelous now. Yeah. Um, I used Marvelous a lot uh, mm -hmm. before. That was it's just a great costume. It's just super easy. Yeah, it can do one thing, and it can do one thing really well, and that is clothing and fabric. If yeah. you need to do anything like that, you need to use that. It, it's, it's one of these things that when we, we, we did the... Um, what's the best 3D software video. A lot of people were talking about like, it's all about the artist and it's not about tool. And I would say it's actually not. Like mm. I've been sculpting a fair bit of clothing and sculpting clothing is extremely hard to do. It's just a really, really tricky yeah. thing to do. If I can avoid sculpting clothing, like I will. In order to sculpt clothing, you need to have perfect reference, preferably a scan, and even then it's hard. So so I'm a fairly experienced sculptor. I've been using Seabridge for like 12 years. It's crazy. but. I can't sculpt clothing that well. Yeah. 
some some junior artist can come in and who's been using rap for no sorry been using Marvel as a designer for a day and he will make ten times better clothing than what I can. In this case, it's not just all the artist; it is very much the tool as well. Yeah, I mean a bit digression here, but I just want to I just want to mention that the tools are very much important for sure to what you do. And like just to. Because we actually, I don't think we we actually didn't even plan to talk about Marvelous, but no. it's a good it's a good software. <laughs> good little and segue. If you so here's the dilemma with with Marvelous. Most of the time, my experience, we don't get the actual patterns. So I'm talking about the fabric patterns, the ones that are actually cut out um, for the costumes. So you have to guess. So, um, which is a problem. But if you're working in a really nice production, mm-hmm. that's very kind to send over maybe the original costume. I've had the original costume for something before. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing is you get to actually hold the costume, see the costumes that the actors or the virtual characters were wearing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a tiny one that's like wood related. I don't know. <laughs> um, and it's super cool to see the fabrics from the actual tailors. Mm. Taylors? I think it's Taylors. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think seamstress is is I, I read about that at some point. There was like a there's a different 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 it's different for men and women. Okay. At least it used to be. Oh, I have I no think. idea. Uh, oh no, we're probably getting flack for that. <laughs> Shit. Anyway, um Marvelous is amazing. Yeah, Marvelous is amazing. So next up let's talk about what are the actual steps in in the modeling pipeline here. So generally, this is before you start with anything, somebody has been on set to to take photo shoot slash photo scan sessions off, whatever whatever it is you need to do. Like if this is not just for people, like if you if you have 30 props, they're going to scan them for you. Because it's so much easier to model something if you have a scan. If you (laughs) just have a reference image, then you have a whole does it match doesn't it match if you have a scan, boom, it matches. It's twice as fast 10 times as fast to model. And they, they definitely will provide you with, with scans. I've uh, worked with a guy before who uh, somehow couldn't match scans. <laughs> he, uh, he was fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, scans are. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know how you don't match scans. Scans. I don't know. Anyway. So, uh, <laughs> so what they will what you'll capture is they will capture like just general data, like essentially photos and uh, Photos and and scans of it, which means you know you you now get the cameras and you can just in Maya just align this perfectly. This is also this is also what I use when I'm a texture artist. They will just take like polarized photos, uh, cross polarized photos, all that kind of crazy stuff, and then we just can project it. Texturing digidoubles is pretty easy when it comes to that. Yeah, you have a ready camera and you have a, a, a cross polarized photo and you just project it on. The crazy thing about the polarized and cross polarized photos. People probably haven't seen them before, mm. but uh, you have a you have a special lens that's um, fifty. Whether like I don't know how to explain it. Like the way it lets in light when you rotate the lens itself, yeah. or, like the filter outside of the lens will block light from a certain angle. Yeah. So you have those pictures combined together. All of a sudden, you have a you have a reference image without any spec yeah. on it. You have pure lighting information. Well, yeah. pure basically pure diffuse information yeah. you will see some shadows here and there yeah. but it's kind of crazy yeah so, so they will light it in the most neutral way they can and then they will they will polarize the lights and then will polarize the, the, the lens and then you just get yeah there is no there is no spec whatsoever yeah. and you just realize how much spec there is this mm-hmm. is when you realize that everything has spec but we digress <laughs> <laughs> uh, once you um once you um once you got your reference then um well, this depends because if you if you're modeling a prop or double, then you just start modeling this right away. Mm-hmm. If you are doing something creative, instead of getting stuff from the set, you'll do concepting, or you'll get concepts from an art department or some sketches from a director or whatever. Yeah, and then you just work on that for a long time. It, it's it's a bit tricky. Like, where does concepting end and modeling start? That's that just depends really. Yeah, it depends I mean, on the artist you have and time frame and all that. Very different. Sometimes you'll get a model that is fifty percent done. Yeah. And but and then maybe it'll they'll maybe the dude or the dudette <laughs> in the art department who's done the thing they was not working anymore, yeah. or they're on other tasks so that are okay, you I guess you've gotta do it now. Yeah. So you take over and then you start refining it. Maybe you get a completely finished one and you just yeah. st- head straight into modeling. Yeah. It also it also very much depends on what you're comfortable with and what the studio yeah. wants to give you. So they're not gonna give you Creature concepting. If you're not comfortable with creature no. concepting, <laughs> one of the reasons why that's that's such a high level task is, 
I mean, same with, same with any high-level task there, same with if you're doing high-level environments or whatnot, is because this is on screen so much. Yeah. Like, and it's so important, so important for performance. So they will only give you to that if you are comfortable with that. Definitely. And then once concepting is done, this is when you do your retopology of your model. Or if you provide a scan for this, then you just model it up. Yeah. Or, you know, you use an existing topology and you use wrap, like yeah, we exactly. talked about before. So yeah. it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it, it very much depends. Maybe it's, it's, uh, with the hard surface stuff, you know, the environment we talked about before, maybe there isn't even a concept. Yeah. Maybe you are concepting as you are modeling. Yeah. Maybe the, yeah. whatever you're doing, the rocks that you're doing, oh, rocks or trees <laughs> for that matter are oh, just, trees. you know, you're kind of concepting trees or yeah. rocks at the same time. So they, it very much depends on the task. There's a lot of overlap with some departments here and there. Yeah, but and there's also also a lot of back and forth between concepting and modeling. This is something you should never do, because uh, once you do once you're done with concepting, then you have a retopen model with tons of UV sets, and it might have face shapes. And then they're like, uh, "Can you change it?" And then you go, "I can." <laughs> so it take you a month to do. But uh, you can, but most likely you will have to go back and and reshape some stuff mm -hmm. at some point. Hopefully yeah. you won't, but you know it always happens. It always happens. So try to work as non-destructively as you can, which you can't work non-destructively because you're not you're not working procedurally here no. because you are doing one specific thing. But trying to work as non-destructively as possible. Like most of the time, they'll try to lock down topology as early as possible mm. because topology is one of those things that messes everything up in the yeah. pipeline. Yeah. If your topology is locked, you can do most things down the pipeline and you can always go back and tweak things. Like you can tweak the shape of a model mm -hmm. to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. uh, you can not drag out one vert to be three spikes, yeah. for example. You would need more topology for that, which would mess everything up yeah. down the line. But I mean, this is not always up to you and it's never on you as a modeler, whether they want to change something no. there. So it's just something to keep in mind, I suppose. And then once you once you're done with the modeling, at this point we'll assume that your topology is locked down, your retop was done, you mm -hmm. model your spaceship, all this kind of stuff. Then you then it's time for UVs. So UVs is more complicated than people assume. <laughs> what most people, at least what from students, is they assume UVs is just only a 2D representation of your 3D model. You know, you just ch chuck it in there. Uh, you, you just hit do UV some, master. You hit UV master. <laughs> boom, you're done. But UVs are used for a lot more things than purely than pure texturing. So in we have a we had a video about what is UDIMS or what so how do you use UDIMS and uh, in in that one we're showing one part of it which is a selection sets. Like if you're sculpting the ZBrush, you can split your model up based on your DUDIM. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, but you can. It's used for selection sets in Mari and it's generally used for a lot of different things when it comes to selections. Uh, different departments require different UVs as well. So like if you're doing hair, you most likely can't have UDIMs. So you need to do separate UVs for the hair. Yeah, you'd have a groom UV set, which mm. is all one tile. And yeah. I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't have to be nice. It just has to be non-overlapping because yeah. yeah. it's just their representation of where to attach the hairs. Yeah. So you're doing like a peach fuzz kind of thing everywhere yeah. in the model. But then you have something like effects as well. Yeah. Effects will generally have their own sort of utility UV pass yeah. that, that some other departments could use as well. Absolutely. This could be for, um, you know, you're, 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 you want an effects thing to go across the surface of a model. Yeah. They'd probably bind that to the to the UVs. Like some veins growing or something yeah, yeah. or something like that. So there's, there, there's a definitely a lot of back and forth with different departments. It also depends on if it's generic, if it's the generic, topology that already has predefined UVs. Yeah. If it's a completely new model, then you're probably going to be the link between those departments. Yeah. And sometimes this is one thing that I've I've found interesting is the whole working together with texturing. Because texturing is kind of like the next one in the line yeah. after you. So talking to your texture artists if you're doing the UVs is the def is the most important thing yeah. when you're doing the UVs as yeah. a modeler. Because first off, you make their lives easier. It, like, it doesn't really matter to you what the UVs look like. No. Your personal feelings towards UVs <laughs> are completely irrelevant yeah. because you want to do, do the make the texture artist's life as easy as possible. Because yeah. if it's easy for them, it's faster to get out. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's something we've experienced as well. Because we've sort of, the last film we worked on, we worked together and we sort of talked a lot to Henning and we s sort of tried to figure out how can we speed this up as yeah. best as possible. Yeah. So the primary use for UVs is definitely texturing. So so 
texturing, I would say UVs is the first step in texturing. So if you if you do bad UVs, you're just gonna make the life so much harder for it. Uh, let's say you're um, you're doing teeth for it, for example. Uh, if you can lay out your UVs in a way that you can just do one tooth, set up a nuke script, which and then you just replicate this tooth onto all the other teeth, you are gonna save so much time. You only have to sculpt one. You can transfer the displacement map. You only do. You only do one in general, and you can just transfer it across. This is this is true for like anything which is replicated. So if you are smart at UVing, you will make texturing significantly faster and just more enjoyable for everyone. Mm -hmm. And some companies, the the texture artist actually does the UVs. Yeah. Um, whether it's the modeler or the texture artist that does the UVs, I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that. No, depends. Depends on the studio, but either way, if you are the modeler, talk to your texture artist. Yeah. It's also it's also good in general to know some basics of texture. You don't have to be a Mario master, but mm -hmm. know what is the process of texturing, because then you then you know then you have a better idea what you require. For it's that. it's like the whole if you're a hard surface modeler, it's good to know organic stuff as yeah. well, just so you know. Yeah. Because then you can consult people and you have a general idea. Yeah. So that was a lot of talk about uh, UVs. Oh man, I don't want to oh. talk about UVs anymore. So the last, probably the last step in uh, in getting your model out is going to be the final detailing. Yeah. This usually involves sculpting. So we take our model into ZBrush and we just sculpt it up. Yeah. This could be for hard surface. Maybe it's break detail breakup. You know, yeah. you have massive damage or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly on the on the corners or maybe it's a creature that has I don't know a scar. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> it could be anything, but just the super fine detail that you obviously can't model. Yeah. Um, but this, again, there's an overlap. Yeah. And this is something that we've experienced as well, where I there are definitely some things, I think, where it makes sense that modeling just takes it through to a certain point in terms of sculpting, because they're already sitting with the model. They're going to be exporting the maps and such. But then you have the more granular stuff, like you have pores, wrinkles, yeah. that kind of stuff. Don't do it in ZBrush. No. Do it in Mari. Yeah. Like it, it, it. I, my mind was blown when I first saw the results that you can get from actually, let's call it sculpting, in air quotation marks, yeah. sculpting in Mari. Sculpting in Mari is actually possible. Yeah. It's a. Uh, we'll do tutorials on that in the future. <laughs> yeah. We'll do tons of that. But it's actually it's it's a very interesting topic there with the whole detailing. Yeah. Because again, there's a lot of overlap, and I think people have to start being open to the fact that you can do a lot of things in texturing and it can actually speed up the workflow significantly. Yeah. Like imagine you're doing pores for a face. Um, you would have to subdivide your model up to crazy amounts to get yeah. the good resolution. And even have to split your face up as well into yeah. different parts. It's crazy. And then even if when you generate your map, because you're generating generating ba based on the, the topology that's there, maybe you'll get some faceting and yeah. stuff. Whereas if you paint it or you just tile it in Nuke, Perfect. And it's so much less destructive as well. One of the reasons as well, it's, it's a bit hard to figure where does modeling start, stop and texturing, uh, where, where, yeah, where does modeling stop and texturing begins here? Because let's say you're sculpting a displacement map in ZBrush. You're technically outputting this as a map, a 2D map. A 2D map is by definition the job of a texture artist because mm. it's a map, but it's also moving polygons around because you're sculpting. Yeah. So this is a really tricky one. So. There isn't really a, a really good answer here. Like, is sculpting a texturing task or is it a modeling task? This is actually how I got into uh, how I became a texture artist, because uh, I was supposed to do some wrinkle, wrinkles uh, on a character, and they were like, "Can you just sculpt this up?" And I said, "No, this is a texturing <laughs> task. This is clearly a texturing task because you get so much more resolution. Yeah. I had predefined maps here, and doing this in Mario was just objectively better. It was faster and produced better results. So this is how I got into it, just because." I, I was the bridge between modeling and texturing. So this is also why, why I personally recommend having some knowledge of texturing, because then you know when should you stop. If you don't, you will just sculpt everything in ZBrush. Yeah. And your goal as a modeler is not to do the best model possible in in ZBrush. The your goal is to give a framework so that it can look the best as possible in the final frame of the movie. No one cares if you sculpted wrinkles in ZBrush no. or if if they were done in Mari. Does it look good on screen in the end? If you pr if you provide something which looks super cool in ZBrush but it ultimately slows everyone down, you know, that's not cool. No. 
So um, moving on to uh, no smooth segue this time though, but <laughs> moving on to our next topic is it's outsourcing. This is a topic we have to talk about, yeah. just because this is it's not become it's not necessarily a problem because it you know somebody's gains and somebody's loss, mm-hmm. but it means that a lot of the studios today, I would say most of the studios will have an, a department overseas in something like India or China mm-hmm. where they're they're putting more and more work there, which is why we talked in the beginning when we mentioned props that this is something you used to do. Yeah. Today, most props are not done in the major studios in London or in wherever, Vancouver or wherever it is, yeah, yeah, in yeah. wherever you might be. They're they, outsourced. They're, they're mostly outsourced to... Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's like if if outsourcing is the right word because they're not provided to a third party company. They're they're usually like just the main studios department in some other country. Yeah, they set up a company in the in that country. Yeah, so it's not true outsourcing, but it just it's but practically it's still the same thing. It means so that that a lot of the work is now being done in 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 India, which is fantastic if you're in India. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because that just means a lot of work. That's why I'm saying it's not a it's not a pure loss because it's just done in a different country that said if you are in london and you know your job might be online due to this yeah so i mean one of the i guess one of the positives if you are in london vancouver uh wherever there might be studios is mm. that oftentimes they'll they'll keep the creative tasks here so the people that are here usually will get the creative tasks so I guess that is a nice thing, but it also means that some more entry-level positions are starting to go. So it can yeah. get tricky to yeah. to get your foot in the door. What if- I would I would not necessarily recommend going from straight from uni today, straight from university or college to a big VFX studio, because the the route we before was more you you know you do some props and then you get started with there. Yeah. But just in the last three or four years, that has changed to the point now that. Essentially, anything which is not a creative task is being fairly aggressively pushed out of of London because yeah. it's just way cheaper. So it's something that it, it's not necessarily like what task it is specifically is it organic or is a hard surface. It's anything which is repetitive mm-hmm. and fairly simple to do, but just takes time to do. Yeah. An example here is retopology. Retopology isn't necessarily terribly hard to do. It just takes a lot of time. Like what we're talking about in our retopology videos is. You know, we put up some good podcasts, some flip normal tutorials in the background, you know, all that stuff. And you're just kind of relaxing doing it. The studio goes, he's relaxing doing that. That's a complete waste of money. We can pay yeah. somebody far less to do this task. So, And also someone that's highly specialized. Yes. Perhaps the, the people that are doing it, let's say in India... That's all they do. They yeah. only do retopology. So you they're can't really even good. compete. No. Like, I can't compete with our India studio no, when it comes to retopology. They're so fast because, you know, we do retopology once in a while here because mm-hmm. we, we mostly spend our days sculpting and that kind of stuff. But if if you do retopology all day, every day, you become extremely good at that. Yeah. So what I would highly recommend doing to, to combat outsourcing is... Either work on your very technical skills, such as programming, or work on your artistic skills, such as sculpting or designing or something like that. If you are in the middle where you can only you can only model something which already exists, like it's a prop based on a scan, it's a digital based on a perfect scan, and some of the scans we're getting today are really good. Yeah. Like they're it's to the point that, like Morton said before, you use Wrap Three, you define a couple of points, <laughs> and then it's cleaned up. Yeah, and that's that's an easy test to ship off yeah. to a cheaper company somewhere. So. so. Just be aware of this. Outsourcing today is, again, I'm not going to say a threat because it does benefit people elsewhere in the world, but it means that yeah. if you personally can only do non-creative work or non-technical work, then you will have a really hard time getting into this field. Yeah. And by technical work, I mean that, I mean programming and scripting and and essentially developing tools for people because you're not gonna you're not gonna throw that off somewhere else. You want that in house. Not for now, at least. Not for now. You, know, you never know what the future holds. So certain studios are fairly aggressively pushing it out as well. Not just like retopology, but they're pushing out. I mean, the simple stuff to push out is like Roto or Matchmove. Mm-hmm. They've already done it for years. Like certain studios for ten years, but they're also taking out some 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 of their simpler comp work. A lot of lighting is being thrown out. Some basic animation, even rigging is now being pushed out by certain studios that is it's not necessarily scary like i said it's just you just have to be aware of this yeah that you have to know about this and you have to take you have to take measures to make sure that you are not irrelevant 
Learn some uh, learn some crazy software. Yeah. Like Houdini or Substance or something. Yeah. Something that makes you hireable also in the future, I guess. And learn artistic skills. Learn core art, art foundations. If you're a character artist and you can only do retopology, yeah. you're a bit in trouble. I would say learn... You know, learn proper sculpting, learn figure sculpting, become valuable, learn character designs, maybe go into texturing, depending if you want to do that or not. So we're not going to talk too much about more about <laughs> outsourcing here, but just it's it's just wanted to cover it. We just want to cover it. Be aware of what's actually happening here. So the next one is we're just going to go through the general hierarchy. Yeah. This I mean this applies to not just modeling, but it also it also is modeling. So we talk we talk about it. So. Obviously, the first sort of entry role that you would have is junior. Mm. That's a junior modeler. And junior modelers are generally given more simple tasks. Yeah. But that's the thing. They're given a task. Yeah. They are here. We need to go from A to B. But you will be given one of the steps in between A to B. Yeah. So do the thing here. Then you do the thing. And you report back. And now you've done that thing. Now you're going to do the next thing. So this might be like, uh, you have a again, you have a whole character or a spaceship or something. And... The overall, the overall thing here is make this character, but the task might be, hey, can you sculpt the teeth of this guy? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're often a very highly skilled artist as a junior. I mean, For sure. this is not a, this is not your terrible artist. It's, 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 you know, it's fairly hard to get this job as well. It's just that you don't have an, as much experience. So you might be a fantastic sculptor, but you might be sculpting somebody like the claws of a character, or yeah. you know, if he's doing a spaceship, might paneling or something like that. It's just to get you started into the VFX pipeline. Like we mentioned before. It's really hard when you're starting out to do something. If you if you were to be thrown into a major thing where you're like, do this full on character, you're like, you don't even know where to get no. started. You don't even know how to how to operate Linux at this I'll, point. I'm sorry, you're not a very good production artist yet. Yeah, like you might be a great artist, yeah. but you haven't worked in a production. Those are so, two very separate things. Yeah, and that's how you end up with the uh, Seabrush Cowboys. Yeah, um, it's being a production artist, especially. I think that's what you learn as a junior. You. And things that you haven't learned yet is what what comes with the territory, like how do you submit to dailies, the stress of having a delivery, all this kind of stuff is something that yeah. you. What that, standards do you have to adhere to? What? Yeah. How should you do your topology? What are UDIMs? You know, generally all this kind of stuff. So you know, a junior will oftentimes ask more questions, yeah. and you should as a junior. Okay, here's actually a piece of advice. This is the worst piece of advice I've ever heard from anyone. I'm not going to name any names, okay? <laughs> but I work with a guy who's a rigger. And uh, he was told to stop asking so many questions because it's, it made him seem less senior. Now, that is the worst piece of yeah. advice I have ever heard. I don't care if you're a supervisor. You're like the top dog in the company. You ask questions. Yeah. Like if there's something you don't know, let's say you're a senior modeler or something, and there's something you don't know about UVs or how the company does UVs, ask the question. Yeah. Because you don't want to risk messing it up for the next people down the pipeline. No pipeline so uh just yeah even if it's even if it's embarrassing like it it doesn't matter who you are how much you know there are always something you don't know like just because of the rate of the technology is accelerating you know there is a new version of maya coming out turns out people don't know how to use this version anymore and maybe you've been behind for a few versions there are just going to be a lot of things you don't know yeah so just ask questions. This is like Morton said, regardless of what level you have, but particularly as a junior, if somebody tells you to stop asking questions... You tell you them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, just, that's just silly. <laughs> yeah, it's you a do. Terrible, uh, terrible leader right there. Terrible advice. <laughs> so, so that's generally the difference between a junior and a senior in a way that you give a junior more of a task. Well, yeah. you give a you give more somebody with more seniority, you give them a general goal. If a junior, you might tell them specifically what tools to use, what techniques techniques to use, just because they don't necessarily know how to do it. Mm-hmm. They might be a fantastic artist, they just don't know how to use it in production. While a senior is more, give them a goal. Like, nobody tells me specifically how to texture or how to model. No. They're just like, make this thing. You yeah. know, here's a basic concept, make this awesome. Yeah. And you're just figuring how to do it. Like, you you figure out to poll, you figure out the UV layout, all, all the general things. You figure out to look for it. And um, I mean, independence and, and sort of responsibility, I guess, that's one of the things that comes with seniority, yeah. which is also why, you know, if you fuck up, it's on you. Yeah. Whereas as a junior, if you fuck up, it's most probably not on you. Yeah. Like maybe you were. Yeah, it's it's. But I don't think it's more stressful, really, because you get used to it yeah. and you kind of know what to do. That's why you're a senior. Yeah. Because um, you've been through it and you've been through the stress of having deadlines, deliveries, going to different companies. Yeah picking up different proprietary tools that they use yeah. and such. 
you know Linux. <laughs> <laughs> Linux. Yeah. So you're generally just a more, just again, not necessarily a better artist, mm-hmm. just a better production artist. I've seen junior artists be far better artists than some of the seniors. <laughs> Yeah, but not in a production. Mm-hmm. Like the senior can just smoke the junior in terms of actually getting job done. And some things, you, some things you might also do as a senior is that you might sort of sub delegate tasks from yeah. your lead. Yeah. Um. So you might have some tasks that you know you don't have to do all of these. There are juniors below yeah. you, or there's a mid that you work with, yeah. whatever it is. Um, that you can then work with to do these tasks. Yeah. It's not like you're not not doing work, but it's yeah. just to help everyone in the production. Yeah. The way I like to think about a hierarchy here is, I really despise the notion of a hierarchy. Like yeah. it's like, oh, you're above this person. You like a senior is more important than a junior, or a lead is more important than a senior. Like the way I see this, we're all just people, and you just have different levels of responsibility like we're all trying to finish the film yeah you're all just yeah you have the same goal here and you know uh, we can talk about lead now in a minute here but he just has a different responsibility compared to a junior artist he's not a he's not better like stop stop idolizing people in a higher position it's crazy i've seen that a lot over actually a friend of mine who was a lead at a previous company i worked at it was super super sad like he told me that once he became lead people kind of stopped talking to him yeah. because like all of a sudden all of a sudden he was on this pedestal where yeah. now you're a lead and now you can't ask questions and you can't yeah. you can't correct them on certain things because now he's a lead yeah you can't i mean that's just that's just terrible yeah it's i i think and this goes again when you're talking it doesn't matter if you're talking to a supervisor or you're talking to the lead or you're a junior or whatever if you had some good good piece of feedback just say it. Yeah, I find a lot of people are very afraid of of talking to their supervisors or leads or whatnot, even if they know that they are wrong. I mean, if you're, like I said, you're just a human. If you're a VFX soup or whatever, yeah, you just happen to have a different job. If you are a modeler, you hopefully know more about modeling than your VFX soup. Probably, yeah. Because he <laughs> might come from lighting or comp or something else here. So you hopefully have some expertise which he doesn't have, and he relies on you for the expertise. The way I see it, it, it this goes from the bottom to the top, where everyone on the bottom uses their expertise, and it flows upwards. Where if you're a supervisor, you know you want that expertise. Yeah. But if if you assume that the soup knows everything, that's I think that's a wrong way of going about it. I mean, He's, I've rarely come across a supervisor who didn't want to listen to the advice of yeah. the people that they work with because. They, we are the people in the trenches every yeah. day. We know about the thing that we work yeah. with. Um, so it's it's a very it's a very collaborative effort. It really is. Like don't stop stop seeing this as a, such a rigid hierarchy. You're all in the same boat. Just you just have different responsibilities. The captain of the ship relies on. I can't do ship metaphors here, but he relies on the person scrubbing the floors. You know. I mean, he might get paid more, but you know, <laughs> yeah, <still>. absolutely. <laughs> but it's all a very collaborative effort. Stop yeah. seeing it as as people fighting you're always it's it's not a game here you know i think it's a good way of putting it like it's just different levels of responsibility which Um, of course are compensated accordingly like obviously if you are lead you make yeah (laughs) obviously you make more money as a lead than you do as a junior artist because you have more responsibility depending on the company (laughs) (laughs) as a general rule (laughs) yeah Um, but then we do have leads and uh leads in general will do less actual modeling yeah. like with, or lighting, whatever, comping, yeah. whatever it is that you are a lead in. You're mostly responsible for, for delegating the tasks yeah. to the senior, mids, and juniors. Um, there will be some, some leads that also partake more in the work. Yeah. You know, it depends on the, the show, the company, the yeah. kind of lead that they are. But in general, it's a more sort of production heavy kind of modeler yeah you do you're dealing more with the supervisors you do you're dealing more with meetings and by production we mean paperwork yeah paperwork you're dealing more with people than yeah. work yeah probably. exactly so some people really like that mm-hmm. you know some people really want to just go up there just to be able to go into management and some people really hate that like if you're a very art artistic person here going into a lead role is not better than a senior role here at all it's just a very different role you have far more responsibility and you do far less actual work. Your workload you, is bigger yeah, most of the time. Absolutely. You put in more hours. And absolutely. So 
so that it's just it's just a just a different what do you personally want to do a, a lead artist is most likely not a better artist than a senior artist like at all no. a, a lead artist might not have if he's been leading for a few years maybe he hasn't actually been doing production work or proper sculpting for a few years now yeah so it, this is i wouldn't say this is a higher precision than than a senior i mean on a hierarchy it is it's just in my mind, it's just a different role here, yeah. where you just have more responsibility. So I would say that that lead is like it's like a blend. Yeah, it's a blend between management and artist, and it's like the first tier into a more management role in mm-hmm. a company. And then at the end of that whole thing, we have supervisors. Mm-hmm. So supervisors are the ones that make the final call. Mm. You have different levels of supervisors Definitely. in that that you know have the final say. Maybe you have you have certain supervisors for certain departments. You have a supervisor for the entire show itself, yeah. depending on if it's a su- supervisor that's in-house, a supervisor that's on the set yeah. with the director. Um, they all have different roles, but these are the people that just sit in dailies yeah. eight hours a day, <laughs> and uh, that's most of what they do. Yeah. So, so in this case, you, you wouldn't necessarily have a modeling supervisor, though you would do have that on bigger shows. Like if yeah. you have a crazy, crazy show, you would most likely have that. But on most shows, I find that there is a build supervisor, and the build supervisor, he's, he will be responsible for stuff like modeling, texturing, groom, look dev, or shading. Or like asset want. supervisor. Yeah, on yeah. asset supervisor. Yeah. So it's just responsible for all these things here. And and at that point, you do very little actual work. You're more responsible for making sure that all tasks are completed, that your bidding days aren't being burnt up in some crazy inferno. And um, <laughs> generally, is way more management. Yeah, and you, you, most of the time, you would probably, I would not like set the standard, but you know, talk with the leads and seniors about the standards yeah. that are going to be on the show. Yeah. Let's say specifically for the if it's an asset supervisor, you know, how do we get these assets out? Like, what's the resolution yeah. for the textures? Yeah. Uh, what's the poly count going to be like? Yeah. All these things. Overall workflows as well. Like, it's, if it's a crazy, if it's a crazy character, you, there isn't necessarily a straightforward way. It's not just oh, you just concept and the model and texture it. No. Specifically, how do you go about this? Is making sure all departments talk to each other, and that the work is just done in a in an efficient way. Yeah. And then the very very last point we're going to talk about now is is how is the work being reviewed. So there are essentially two ways of the work being reviewed. First one is you submit your work to dailies. We have mentioned the word dailies beforehand, and we realize this is a term a lot of people don't necessarily know what it means. Essentially, this is a gathering of people who review this on a projector in a room. Every day. Every day. That's why dailies. Yeah. Even though <laughs> dailies is like, I mean, they do take place every day, but yeah. when I submit to dailies, it's like twice a week, yeah. maybe. <laughs> So, so, uh, so essentially, this is you. You submit this through the pipeline, where this goes into a playlist, and you have uh, in here you have your supervisor, and um, and they will just feedback your work. And this is a good way to for everyone just to everyone on on the film just to you know see what's up, what's mm-hmm. what's currently happening here, and for people just to give their feedback on it. And it's also a way for the supervisor just to instead of having to run around the building like crazy, <laughs> and you might have different buildings, different different countries, different oh, time zones. Uh-huh. It's just one way, it's just a really efficient way of supervisor to, in theory, look through the work and be like, yeah, this is improve this, make this better, fix that. Uh, just a collective, a, a centralized place for feedback. But I think this is also where you have to not be afraid to, to discuss things. Yes. I think people often, I can see why people will get intimidated by this. Maybe you're in a room with 20 different people, mm-hmm. there are three kinds of supervisors, they're critiquing the work. And I see a lot of people, most people actually, just sit there and then they, they just take it. Yes, you know, sir. No, sir. Yeah. Dep- no matter what the feedback is, maybe you disagree with the feedback. Yeah. Maybe you have a better way for the workflow to be, yeah. whatever it might be. This is the time to say it. They're like, yeah. I think we should do this and this. And you say, well, I've tried this before and this didn't quite work here. Yeah. Uh, what if we do it like this? Because hopefully you have expertise here. I mean, yeah. there's a reason you are in the job you have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, let's say you're new and you're starting out and all that. And you're super unsure, like this is a whole imposter syndrome thing. Oh, <laughs> am I worth this? Should I be here? <laughs> well, there is a reason you got a job. Somebody clearly believes that you yeah. can do the job so you know just and i mean i from my experience supervisors actually welcome conversation absolutely i had a supervisor once where i didn't hear anyone speak up in a daily uh except for me and it was actually nice having a conversation yeah. with him because he would just lash out feedback he was pretty harsh and be yeah. like oh we gotta do this we gotta do this i'm like but what if we do it like this instead of like Someone talking in here. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we actually had a conversation about yeah. the assets. And I think it helps in general. It really does. It, like, if you just 
souping all the time and you're just saying the things all the time, you become kind of blind probably yeah. um, if no one ever challenges you on Absolutely. the things that you say. And then you go back to your desk afterwards, you didn't say anything, you knew it was wrong, and now you do the stupid change, which you knew is wrong, and in two weeks, everyone is going to figure out that it was wrong. Yeah. Suddenly, it turns out this character is indeed spiking himself through the head, <laughs> and you didn't say anything, and now you're like, why didn't you tell anything? say anything here? Yeah. Oh, I didn't want to upset the order of things. <laughs> Screw the order of things. You yeah. know, like I said, all, everyone has the same goal here. The supervisor want this to be done on time and to look awesome in the end. If you... If you delay that just because you don't want to disrupt the order, you're not on the same page anymore. No. Suddenly, you're just making it a lot harder for everyone. You hate your life. Everyone hates your life. And <laughs> a poor animator has to work overtime in three months because of your the mistake. <laughs> and like the last part of this whole review stuff would be something like desk reviews. Yes. So when there's not a lot of stuff being submitted to dailies, maybe there's only one or two submissions. Maybe they're, the people are even sitting in the same room. Yeah. The supervisors will probably come to the room. They'll just have a look at your computer screen to see what's yeah. going on there and just give you the feedback straight away. That's by far my favorite way oh, of doing yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Because then you don't have to spend hours putting everything up. You just, you're, just, you're just sculpting right while they're there. Mm-hmm real-time feedback yeah by far my favorite way because that's that's just so efficient on the, the last film we worked on uh, we had that with the art director we just sat down the two of us and we just sculpted like crazy you know it was just so efficient so with all this said this is this has been an overall review of essentially life as a model we realize this has been over an hour now but oh, this geez. yeah <laughs> time oh. flies when you're having fun <laughs> on the flipped almost train so we really hope this has been useful, and if you have questions about the life of a modeler, that feel free to to shout out or to, to give us a comment here. Yeah, other parts of the pipeline. Yeah, you know, we can we can answer a lot of questions about other parts of the pipeline as well. Yeah. It's so, not just for modeling. No, absolutely, and and keep in mind that our focus here is VFX, it's visual effects for film, and this is based purely on our own experiences mm. here. A lot of this is is not like a it's the ultimate truth of everything. It's our experience, hopefully fairly balanced yeah. experience here. <laughs> Maybe. But, <laughs> but yeah, take it as such. So thank you guys so much for watching. And if you want to see more or hear more content like this in the future, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you.